Philippians <clears throat> chapter 1. Um, there's a story told about a young new pastor um, who uh, went to uh, a church. God called him to a church uh, to go and serve as their pastor. And when he moved into the office and he was getting his stuff arranged, he went to put some stuff in the top desk drawer uh, of his new desk. And uh, when he opened that drawer, there was a letter in there and uh, addressed to the new pastor. It just said, to the new pastor. And, and so he, this man took out this pastor, took out the letter, and began to read it. And the letter came from the former pastor. The guy who had just uh, left had wrote him a letter and put it in the top drawer for him to find. And it said, in your file cabinet, in your office, you will find three sealed envelopes. And if you ever run into any issues in this church, every time you run into a significant issue, you need to go get one of those letters and read it. And so the young pastor in his youthful inexperience thought, I'll never need to open one of those envelopes. There'll never be a time for me uh, to have to go over and actually have issues where I'm going to have to open an envelope and read this. But he had been there about six months, and, and they had vacation Bible school. And he wanted to do some different things at Vacation Bible School, and so he changed a few things, mainly just how the kids walked into the service and, uh, and how they did the pledges. And so he made that change, but if you know anything about Southern Baptist churches, you don't change certain things, and, and VBS is one of those things that you might not want to change as a new pastor. And the uh, VBS director and the workers were none too happy with what had taken place. And so there was some groaning and some mumbling and some irritation. And he began to hear about it. And he thought, well, I guess I better go over there and get one of those envelopes. And so he went over there and got the first envelope and opened it up. And he said, you must have not been here very long. And you've probably tried to make a change to vacation Bible school. He said, if you are having issues because of anything with Vacation Bible School, just go and tell your workers that the former pastor had shared with you that he had always wanted to do it this way and thought it would be more efficient. He said, so I did that, and it worked. And there was no more complaining, no more rumbling, no more griping, and everybody was happy. Well, about a year and a half after that, he'd been there about two years, and then he decided to make a change to the worship service particularly where the offering was going to be taken up during the worship's time and the order of the service. Well, that irritated the musicians, and it irritated the ushers, and it irritated the deacons who had to rotate every week who did the offering prayer. And then they become pretty big, and it got pretty out of hand because, again, we're Southern Baptists, and we don't like change. And so there began to get rumblings. But this time, unlike the last time, it was actually rumblings of this is heretical, and we might want to replace our pastor. And so he goes back over and gets the second envelope, and he said, well, I guess you've been there probably a little over a year, maybe two, and you've probably tried to make a change to the worship service schedule. He said, if this is the case, then just have a meeting with your musicians, your ushers, and your deacons and share with them that you thought that this would be better because the convention was making this change and you thought they'd want to follow suit. And, but it really makes no difference what y'all do to you. So he did that. He met with them and said, this is what our convention's doing. Churches are having good experience with it. 
I don't really care if you want to leave it or save it or whatever. It doesn't matter to me. I just thought you'd want to follow suit. Well, that worked great, and everybody got happy, and nobody was more irritated or anything like that. Well, he'd been there about three years, and then he, this particular church had an organization that most Baptist churches do. It's called the WMU, the Women's Missionary Unit, or now known as Women on Mission, or the WOM. And this particular church, the WOM, was in charge of the kitchen. And he made a change and decided that the kitchen could now be used by members of the church or for different events, and they didn't have to have permission from the WOM or a representative from the WOM there for the kitchen to be utilized. Not a good change. And again, he found himself in hot water, and so he went over and grabbed the third envelope, and he opened it up, and he said, Dear young pastor, I assume at this point you have made the women in the church upset and irritated. My suggestion for you is write three letters to your replacement. Long story. I'm glad you laughed. <laughs> I'm really glad that uh, six years ago when you guys called me here and God called me here to be the pastor, that no one left envelopes in my desk. Uh, Brother Steve didn't leave me any envelopes. Brother Jerry, the interim before I got here, didn't leave uh, me any envelopes. And I'm really thankful, even in this, and I'll say this, I'm really thankful that we haven't had a situation where I felt I needed to open one of those. Now, I'm not saying it's been perfect. I'm not saying it's been easy. We've had our shares of trials and, and hard times and different things we've been through. It hasn't been easy. There's been uh, personal uh, that I've went through trials and frustrations. I think we've been through some corporate trials and frustrations and, and and all of that. But there's never been a time where I felt like I needed to would have needed to open one of those envelopes. And I want you to know, as, as your pastor, um, I, I honestly can't imagine pastoring anywhere else. I honestly can't imagine pastoring anywhere else. And this morning, following our worship service, we're going to have a special time that our church does, a fellowship meal. We normally do it every year, uh, normally in October, uh, for pastor appreciation. And, and I want you to know, as your pastor, I'm grateful and thankful that you guys take the time to appreciate your pastor. And y'all have done that in a variety of ways uh, through the years. But most importantly, uh, and I know Brother Chuck has said, said this to you before, um, the greatest thing you guys can do, and I believe you do for me, is pray for me, and I will ever and always be grateful and thankful for that. And, and so I'm thankful for the pastor appreciation time. But before we get to that and before we go eat, I'm going to do something today that I haven't done since I've been here. And, and I want to spend some time this morning sharing some things from your pastor's heart, some things from Scripture for you and to you about my a particular gratitude and my love and my prayer for you and for this church. And, and to do that, we're going to be looking in Scripture because there's an experience found in Scripture from the Apostle Paul um, in, in a particular church in which Paul writes to this church and shares with them exactly the way I feel about this church. And so I want to share God's word with you, but I also want to share my heart with you this morning because I know you're going to do pastor appreciation, but before we do that, I want you to understand my appreciation 
my love and my prayer for you. And so if you have your Bibles open this morning, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 this morning. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writing to the church in Philippi, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops or overseers or pastors and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and defense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you'd bless the reading of your word, and now as we examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase and that the words would be shared today would not be my words but yours and they will find the place you have for them in the hearts and the lives of your people. Today I pray it would be a day of great encouragement uh, and a great time of worshiping together and that you would use this time to grow our unity as a church but also grow our knowledge and understanding of your scriptures and your desire for the partnership between a minister and the church that he serves in. Father, thank you for the blessings again of the day, and we pray that your spirit moves in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, here Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and Paul traveled and ministered a lot to a lot of different groups of people, and he went to a lot of different areas, and he planted a lot of different churches. One such church is the church in Philippi, where he established this church. And the Philippian believers, they loved the Apostle Paul dearly. They loved him, they supported him, um, they cared for him, uh, not only in word, but also in deed. And it didn't matter if he was preaching the gospel a free man or whether or not he was preaching the gospel bound in chains in prison. The church in Philippi was there and they supported him and they loved him and they encouraged him in his work of advancing the gospel. They even sent, went so far to send supplies to him so that he could better fulfill his ministry of planting churches and advancing the gospel. And because of this partnership, because of this relationship between the two, Paul dearly loved this church. And so he writes to them a letter, and he shares with them in just these first few verses a few things about his love and his appreciation for that church. And in doing so, he sums up perfectly 
my love and appreciation for you. And so this morning, I want to share that with you. I want to share God's word, and I want to share my heart to you this morning as you understand and, and come to know my appreciation for you. There are three things specifically that he shares with them that I want to share with you. First of all, he shares his gratitude or a minister's gratitude. He does this in verses 1 through 6. You see, this church in Philippi was an amazing church. God had done some great things in Philippi. Philippi is the place where Lydia, the seller of purple goods, became a follower of Christ. Uh, Philippi is where Paul and Silas were imprisoned, and round about midnight they were singing praise inside the prison when the prison cells miraculously opened and they had a chance to leave and chose not to do so. And the Philippian jailer woke up and realized that the doors were open and, and was about to take his own life because that was a better than allowing the government to do it because that's exactly what would have happened if he had lost a prisoner um, on his watch. Yet when the, prisoner, when the, uh, the prison uh, guard goes to do that, Paul stops him and yells from a dark prison cell, we're still here. And, and the Bible says that through that testimony, the jailer became a follower of Christ, who then went to his household, and his whole household became a follower of Christ. And there are many other stories that happen in the church in Philippi, some that we read in Scripture, some that, that are just uh, stories that we've heard through church history. And there are many that we don't hear about. But what we do know is that God had done some great things in this church. And I want you to know this morning, Walika First, too, is a great church. I want you to know we're a great church. And here's why we're a great church. Because God has done, is doing, and will continue to do some great things in this church. Now, this is where we get it twisted sometimes. Sometimes we think of great in human terms. But I want you to understand this morning, the greatest thing a church can do has nothing to do with how big your attendance numbers are. The greatest thing a church can do is grow in their knowledge and their faith in Jesus Christ and advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's the greatest two things a church can do. And I want you to know over the last six years, for me, and over the last 100 plus years as a church, Walika First has been a church that has grown or desired to grow in their faith, their knowledge, their understanding, and advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. We have seen people saved. Matter of fact, let's just by a show of hands. How many of you in here this morning were saved in this church? Okay, great. How many of you have led someone else to Jesus Christ since you've been a member of this church. Okay, see, there's ministry that has taken place, not by our doing. We don't create salvation. That's a movement of God. We just get to be a part of his plan, and because of that, Walika First is a great church. I define greatness as a church who desires to grow in their faith and knowledge and understanding of God and their advancement of the gospel. And any church that does that is a great church, and Walika First that mold, and I want you to know I'm grateful for that. But in verses 1 through 6, Paul illustrates a few, actually three, very specific things 
that he is grateful for within that church, and I want to share them with you. The first thing that he's grateful for is he's grateful for the leaders in that church. Now, if you look at verse 1 and you go back and read that, this, this letter is not just addressed to the saints. This letter is not just addressed to the pastors. It's not just addressed to the deacons. It's addressed to all three. It says to the saints in Philippi and the overseers or the bishops or the pastors and the deacons. This letter is for all groups in the church. Leaders, paid, if you want to call them that, pastors. Volunteer leaders like deacons and then lay people like the church. And so he says here, first off, that he is grateful for their leaders. Now, how do I know he's grateful for them? Because look in verse 3. He's just addressed all three groups, and look at what he says in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now, that's not just to the saints. He's not just thanking God for the saints. He's not just thanking God for the overseers. He's not just thanking God for the deacons. He's thanking God for all three. But specifically, I want you to see that he's thanking God for the leadership in his church. He was thankful for their leaders, how they lead, how they served, how they ministered to the people in the church and in the community in which this church was located. He was thankful for the leaders. And I want you to know at Walika First, I'm thankful. For our leaders. I'm grateful for our leaders. We have some incredible leaders here at Walika First, leaders who are leadable, leaders who are dependable and faithful and hardworking and caring and willing and willing to help when needed and step in and step up when we're needed. I am thankful for the leadership in our church. I'm thankful for our deacons, and we don't have very many of them. But I want you to know I have at my disposal, two of the greatest deacons I've ever met who understand their role as a deacon and have never turned a deaf ear to me when I needed them most, ever. And I can't thank you enough for that because that's not always the case because I go to pastor's conference about every week and I get to hear the horror stories from some of my fellow pastors and some of the deacons meetings they go through and they're like, don't you have deacons meetings? And I went, in the hallway. <laughs> they went, really? I went, yeah, if I have something I call them, they call me, we meet in the hall or we, I'll go to their home. If we need to meet, we meet. They're, they're there for me. They don't, they, don't try to, to over, they don't try to keep their hand on top of me. They, don't, they let me serve. They let me lead. They let me do the things God's called me to do. And they're there to pray for me and encourage me and even give me wisdom when I need it. And I'm thankful for our leadership like our deacons in our church. Not just our deacons, our teachers, people that put time and effort into leading through their teaching and their, their advancement of trying to help people grow in their faith and understand people who lead in our vacation Bible school program and our youth program and our False Creek camps and, and, and our, in our trunk or treat or, or those who just step up and take leadership roles in the church. Paul was thankful for them, and I'm thankful for you here that are leaders. But not only was Paul thankful for the leadership, he's thankful for just the saints, just the regular, everyday church member. And, 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 and we, we use this word, and maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. And if you haven't, I'm going to give you a church word today. We use this word laity or lay members. Now, what is a lay members? Well, a laity or a lay member simply are those that are distinguished from leadership. They are just everyday 
saints of God in the church. Uh, there was a, a father that was trying to describe this to his daughter one day, and she said, Dad, what's the difference between a lay church member and a leader in the church? And he said, well, our leaders like our staff, they're like our paid staff, like our pastor, our youth pastor, our music minister, our education minister. They're our paid staff. That's, that's our, our leadership. And then our laity is just the membership of the church. And she went, oh, I, I get it, Dad. So our, our leaders are paid to be good, and our laymen are good for nothing. And, so, and he said, no, I don't think that's quite the way that works, dear. And, and he began to explain it again. And she said, no, I'm just kidding, Dad. I, under, I understand that. But uh, that pastor that, I, I shared with, uh, that I've shared with you several times the last few weeks, Morgan Ashworth, when he retired, I never will forget, he stood up and he said, I'm going to get to be just like you. I'm going to now get to be good for nothing because they were no longer uh, going to pay him. And I want you to know, I say that very lightheartedly because every one of you are good for something. None of you are good for nothing. You're good for something. And I want you to know that the saints of this church, the regular church members that we have, are invaluable to this church. You bring something to the church, even if you don't know that you bring it, and you do that through the third aspect in which Paul says he's grateful to this church, and that is through the ministry of the church. Look at verse 5. In verse 5, he says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day till now. That word fellowship means partnership or a common bond or a common sharing. And the idea that Paul's saying is that he was grateful for their partnership with him in the gospel. They were partners in the ministry of the gospel. Now, I want you to understand that Paul was very grateful for, for the active ministry that this church had, and he was grateful for that. And I want you to know, too, that I am grateful for the ministry of Walika First Baptist Church that comes not just through our leaders, but also through our laymen, our saints. You see, sometimes in the church, people think the church is a one-man show, and particularly in a small town or a small church like Walika. And it kind of becomes as a, a kind of known as a one-man show. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it needs to be. Because sometimes there are certain things that only the pastor can do and only pastors should do. There are things in Scripture that are, are for the pastors to do. And, and we ought to let him do those things. But the church as a whole is anything but a one-man show. I'm, what I mean by that is, is we're far from a one-man show. We have people in our church, and they did, I'm sure, there, who visited people, who called people, who prayed for and with other people. I, I can't help but think right now of the women who's, who come every Wednesday and sit in our fellowship hall and have their own prayer list and pray. Pray for people. They don't and this is uncommon, church. They don't sit around and gossip about people. They make up a prayer list, and then they pray for people. And I want you to know there's power in prayer. Any church that's not built on prayer is not going anywhere. I want you to know that. And so when I see a group of people, I don't care if it's two, three, four, five, ten, that I know are dedicated every week to come together and lift up their voices in prayer to God for people, intercessory prayer, that is an amazing thing in the church that we couldn't do without you. Now, I want you to know there are people who serve on committees. 
There are people right now in our fellowship hall getting ready for a dinner. They're serving. We, we probably wouldn't call many of them leaders in the church, but they're servants in the church. We have many who are going to be here two weeks from tonight out here in the parking lot with their cars and their trunks open, meeting families, meeting kids, giving them a safe place to come and enjoy a good night where they get to play some games and have some candy. And some people are like, oh, that's a worthless time. You're not advancing the gospel. Yes, we are, because we're building relationships and people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And that's what we're about. And so, yes, you bet it. When you come out, we're, we need those people to serve on those committees, serve on those ministry teams that we have. We have people that teach. We have people that sing and play instruments. Thank God that we have them here to help lead us in worship. We have people who give faithfully to the ministry of this church. We have people who go to camp, take weeks of vacation to go spend with kids at camp. And if you go to children's camp, praise God for you. I want you to know because I go and I love it, but man, I come home exhausted from children's camp. We have people who give their time to go to youth camp and super summer. We have people that clean things. We have people that organize things. We have people that plan things. And, 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 and she's not here this morning, but Lisa Lee, man, she gets after it. She came to me about two weeks ago and said, hey, instead of, well, it was more than that, it was about a month ago. Hey, instead of doing this meal that we normally do on the fifth Sunday, we're going to do this on the 14th. This. And she had like five things. And I was like, she says, is that all right? And I went, yeah, you take it, you run with it, you do it, I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. And I want you to know we're not a one-man show, and I'm thankful for that. Because I don't feel like I have to do everything when it comes to this church. Now, there are some things I have to do, but I don't feel like I have to do everything in this church. And I'm thankful for our ministry that comes through our leaders and through our servants. And Paul expressed his thanks to them. And I express my thanks and gratitude to you. The second thing is, and we have three, but this, these last two are not nearly as long. So I know we got to eat in a minute. So just bear with me. But the second thing that Paul addresses in this church was not only his gratitude, but he expressed his love for them. And it's found in verse 7. Look at it real quick. He says, Just as, as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have this in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. Listen to verse 8. For God is my witness, how I greatly long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul loved that church with deep, deep, affection of Christ. And I want to echo that statement. I want you to know that this church, however long God allows me to stay here and be your pastor, this church will ever and always be a special place to me and to my family. I want you to know that over the past six years, we have made friendships that are going to last not only a lifetime, but an eternity. And I'm thankful for that. And I want you to know that we have ate together we have prayed together. We have cried together. We've mourned together. We have rejoiced together, and we've praised together, and we've worshiped together, and we've studied God's Word together, and we've grown together, and we've served together to the glory of God for this church to be who we're called to be. And I want you to know because of that, I will ever and always love this church. I want you to know you have been there for me, and you've been there for my family, 
in such a way that I'll never be able to repay you, and it's just my prayer that we've been there for you every bit as much as we could for you, that you were for us. Paul was grateful to this church because they loved him, and they showed their love by being there for him when he needed it the most, and he returns to them the same thoughts, I love you as well. You see, we, we, we often use that word, love, but I want you to know true love is found more in your actions than in your words. And, and there's one thing that if, if God ever called me to leave or God called me home, I will, I will always know that this church loved me. Not just because you told me that. I saw that. There's a difference. Okay? And I pray that you've seen my love for you as much as you have shown it to me and my family. And I, I hope that that encourages you today. Because any church that doesn't think that their pastor loves them is not going very far. Because you can't partner that way. And I want to be partners with you. And you don't partner with someone if you don't feel they love you or you don't love them or however that goes. So there's no way I can put it into words how much I do care and love for you. You just have to take my word for it when I say I love each and every one of you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for you. And then the third thing is a minister's prayer. Paul didn't just say he was grateful to them. He didn't just tell them he loved them. He actually reminds them that he prays for them. And then he tells them what he prays for them. And this is how I want to close this morning. I want you to understand that not only did Paul pray for that church constantly, and not only did he tell them exactly what he prayed for them, I want you to know that I pray for you, and I want you to know what I pray for you. And I pray that it's an encouragement to you. But before I give you what I pray for you, let me share with you what Paul prayed for them. In verses 9 through 11, Paul tells them five things that he prays for them. Real quick, just, just listen to them. He prayed, number one, that their love would grow. That they would grow in their love. I want you to know that a church whose love does not grow does not reach the world. The world gets enough of unloving attitudes outside the church. The church changes the world through love because it was love that changes the world through Jesus. It was love that changed our world in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that God demonstrates his, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If God didn't love us, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. And if we don't love the world, we won't take Jesus to the world. And so we have to do that as well. He says, so he prays their love would grow. He prays that their, number two, that their knowledge and their understanding would grow. So now he's not only praying that they would grow in their love, he's actually think, praying that they will continue to grow in their knowledge and their understanding of God, Scripture, the gospel, and God's kingdom work. That's what he wants them to grow in. And then he says that he prayed that they would live holy lives until the return of Christ. So now he's praying that their lives would be a life of holiness. And if you'll remember, holiness means to be blameless in the sight of God. It means to be set apart from sin, set apart to God. And so he's praying that they'll be holy. He prays, fourthly, that they'll be faithful. He prays that they will be faithful. And then, fifthly, he prays that they will live lives that glorify the Father. 
And, and I, I want you to know that I pray for you too. I mean, and, and here's what I pray for you, and it's just two things. I pray, number one, that you'll be focused. That's what I pray for you. Now, let me explain that. I pray that your lives and my life will be a life of focus that focuses on loving God, loving each other, and loving the lost. That's what I pray. That we will be focused on loving God, loving each other, and loving the lost. I also pray that we will focus on living lives defined by being faithful. Faithful to God, faithful to Jesus, faithful to His Word, faithful to His work, and faithful to His church. I also pray, to, secondly, that you'll be fruitful. Now, I pray this in, in a way that I pray that God would produce in you good fruit. And what I mean by that is I, I pray that God would produce in you things like the fruit of the Spirit. Because you can't do those on your own, neither can I. We can't develop the fruits of the Spirit. Those are fruits of the Spirit. They come from the Spirit through us. And so I pray that we would have the spirits, uh, a fruit of the Spirit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I pray that God would produce that kind of fruit in me and in you. And I also pray that he would produce the fruit of righteousness in our life, that we would live a life right, that we would live a life pleasing. As I believe Brother Chuck said this morning, quoting Colossians chapter 1, that we would live a life worthy of our calling as followers of Christ. So I pray that you would be fruitful in your fruit of righteousness. I pray that your lives will produce the fruit of unity, a fruit of selflessness and of humility and of grace and of mercy. And I pray that your ministry of the gospel and my ministry of the gospel will produce fruit of disciples. You know, there are some churches and some pastors that are all about converts. I've got some pastor friends, and I'll, I'll, I'll pretty much quit with this, but I've got some pastor friends that go to around the world, different places, mostly in Africa, to do evangelism. And every time they come back, they share, oh, we had 10,000 salvations, or we had 8,000 professions of faith. One year it was 15,000 professions. They were only over there two weeks. I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a lot of salvation. And I'm not saying they're, they're not. But where the church, in my opinion, particularly Baptist churches, have faltered is we've emphasized converts and we've de-emphasized disciples. Jesus never told us to make converts. He told us to make disciples. And a disciple is one who is following after Jesus. And not just someone who makes a profession of faith in Jesus, but someone who is following after 
Jesus for everything in their life, not just for salvation to get them to heaven, but for everyday aspects of their life that they would be conformed to the image of Christ. That is what we're called to make. That's what the Great Commission is all about. Go, therefore go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of of the earth, Matthew chapter 28. I'm not saying we shouldn't make converts because you can't make disciples without making converts. But I pray that we make disciples. That we, we create, like with our youth group, that we create in, in our church a, an idea of disciples making that when these students not leave our youth group, they're not only, uh, not only saved by Jesus, but they're following Jesus, because not all of them are going to stay in Walika. Like, we need to understand, like, some churches are all about reaching the ends of the earth, but they forget about reaching Walika. I want you to know, this is how Walika first reaches the ends of the earth. We reach one person who reaches someone else, who reaches someone else, who reaches someone else. We reach one person that leaves Walika and goes to Texas who reaches someone who goes to Africa, who reaches someone who goes to Turkey, who reaches someone who goes to Ireland. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's how you reach the ends of the earth. It's, I'm not saying we shouldn't go to the ends of the earth. I'm not saying that at all. But, but if we make disciples in Malika, we will go to the ends of the earth. That's the way that works. So I pray that we will make disciples, that we will be fruitful in disciples. So I want you to know this morning that Paul loved the church in Philippi. He was grateful for them, he loved them, and he prayed for them. And this morning, I want you to know, too, that I am grateful for you, that I love you, and I pray for you. And, and I want you to know that God has enabled and allowed me to be here and to serve you. And I pray, I pray that God has used me to, to serve you in a way that glorifies him. Before we pray real quick, I was thinking this last week, and this is the last thing I will say, honestly. I was like, you know, I've been here a little over six years. So I went back. It's like, I wonder how many sermons I've preached. <laughs> I've preached over 300 Sunday morning sermons. A at 30 to 35 minutes a sermon, that's over 175 hours that some of you have listened to me ramble on and on and on. And you come back. I don't know if you guys are gluttons for punishment or if you love me or if you love God's word. I don't know what it is. But how could I not be thankful and love a church and pray for a church that would put up with 300 sermons from a fallible man who's not perfect but just seeks to serve the Lord? And the only way I can think of that is because I think you guys love us as much as we love you. And I'm thankful and grateful for our partnership and our love and for our past ministry, for our current ministry, and our future ministry.